Alex, it's great to reconnect, right? Even though it's virtually this time. And it's for a good cause. And before I get into too much discussion about aviation and all things aviation and forget that we have people listening out there, let's do a quick intro and tell them what our podcast name is, what it's about. Right, Alex? Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, everyone. My name is David and I've got Alex, my partner in, in all things aviation on this, on this podcast. Uh, we call it Sky Lounge. I'll leave it to Alex to give a quick introduction of how we decided, how we met, how we got started. Right, Alex? Over to you. Sure. Hi, everyone. We are very excited to finally, finally record this uh, first episode. And how it all started... Well, it all started on LinkedIn, actually, a few years ago. We virtually met uh, with David and we just started, we connected, we started uh, interacting with each other's content, liking, posts, commenting. Soon we realized that we started exchanging some news in DMs, uh, sharing updates. And then I was in Dubai, I believe it was during pandemic or just right after maybe, yeah, a year ago. I was in Dubai and we first time met for coffee. Maybe it was a few hours that we were in this coffee place, but uh, it felt like literally 10 minutes because we both realized it. Wow, we have a common passion for this industry. We love it so much. We couldn't stop talking. And then at the end of last year, we met again in Dubai in the same coffee place. And I just said to David, David, I think we should do something together. Like, uh, and I just, I didn't even finish my sentence and David just jumped in and said, like a podcast. So that's how the idea was born right there in Dubai. Correct. And, and I think that's when we sort of took it forward and we've sort of, dis- uh, we've agreed on a name, which is the very first episode of Sky Lounge, right? Which I think is a is a great name because it's not just about, anything to do with the sky, with planes, but it's also to do with the one thing that people want, right? A good seat. A good seat, whether it's in the air or it's in the ground, over a nice cup of coffee, right? What more can you ask for? So I think Sky Lounge is a nice name, nice relaxed name. We're going to spend about maybe 35, 45 minutes per episode. So I know people don't read headlines anymore. Oh, no, they just read headlines, sorry. They don't read anymore. They only see the headlines. But I hope they listen to us. And uh, maybe as the podcast grows and changes, you know, we'll have it even more interactive, right? Like we can connect with other similar-minded people as well. So I'm looking forward to it. I've been really nervous and I've actually worn my lucky tie as well. So, you know. Oh, really? Is it your lucky tie? (laughs) Yeah, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. So so I think, yeah, let's get started. And I think um, maybe you you can tell them what our first episode is going to focus on, Alex. What are we going to talk about this episode? Of course, it is a little bit obvious, right? The name is Sky Lounge, so we decided this first episode we will be talking about lounges, airport lounges. And uh, we found out it's a very um, exciting topic when we, you know, we were preparing for this uh, podcast. 
we already chatted about it and researched different topics and uh, we found out that the first lounge was built when was that david 1930 something yeah 1939 by uh, american airlines at laguardia the admiral's lounge so just imagine you know i was also under the impression the lounges were pretty maybe 20 30 years old like similar to frequent flyer programs so i was also surprised to know that you know lounges go way back you know all those years so that was a surprise to me as well and for me then okay what's changed in a lounge right is it still a room where you get a lot of good food you have an exclusive set of people that you mix with are lounges actually the same as when they started or have they actually changed you know i'm pretty sure they changed and i would actually be really curious to see the pictures of this first lounge because now when you look at panamanada airlines the pictures from those airplanes it looks fantastic it looks fabulous it looks luxurious nothing like air travel today <laughs> so i'd be really um you know interested to know how was that lounge um but we've got really good lounges today too really bad lounges as well we will talk about it later in the episode but let us start with this Why do people go to the lounges? David, what do you think? Why do people go to the lounges? Why do you go to the lounge? Oh, that's a good question. I think, you know, uh people go to lounges for many different reasons. It depends on the purpose of travel, it depends on status as well, it depends on somebody just being hungry. Well, I just uh, just a few months back, uh let me talk about my son first. He's 19. and he is a uh, generation z i think yeah he's a gold member on etihad uh, so he gets lounge access he has a a card which allows him a credit card that allows him lounge access as well he had a long flight long layover and i said i told him almost 15 times use the lounge use the lounge use the lounge and then when he finally arrived i said how is the lounge he said what lounge I said what you didn't use the lounge I said no dad i didn't use a lounge i was good where i was i got myself something to eat i listened to music i watched something i know had good wifi so i was fine he didn't use a lounge and i said okay going back use a lounge right going back from abu dhabi he can use a lounge in the etihad lounge i thought okay he's going to use it same story again he didn't use a lounge right so i don't know is it a generational thing is it that he's not into aviation like we are that he doesn't want the lounge i don't know alex but what about you i mean that's his experience right i'll i'll talk about a few other experiences of mine later on about the good bad and indifferent lounges but what about you i mean what is your view on lounges first of all i must say i wish i had a gold card when i was 19 <laughs> so i am a bit jealous <laughs> of your son but um hey listen for me um I think it really depends. Sometimes I go to the lounge and I really enjoy it, but sometimes I decide not to go to the lounge even when I can. So I'll give you two stories, one from uh, my recent trip to Helsinki and on the way back I flew with Finnair and Helsinki airport itself is very nice. It's very modern and clean. It's well structured and organized. It's a nice airport to be in, but still I wanted to check the lounge because it was my first time in Helsinki, first time flying Finnair. I went to the lounge and i really enjoyed it i think for me the the main selling point was that i could just sit there at the table and just stare at the runway 
So do my favorite thing, plane spotting. Wow. <laughs> While enjoying a drink, you know. Of course, they had a nice selection of coffees and drinks and uh, food. So uh, from that perspective, really nice lounge. But then the second trip, my uh, another recent trip that I had, I was flying back from Barcelona and I also could go to the lounge, but I decided not to go because I discovered a really nice outdoor space, like a backyard. So you are inside the airport, but then you step outside and in this backyard, you have Starbucks and some other coffee place. And you can sit there with your drink, enjoying the sun and overlooking planes, you know. And at that moment I thought, wow, I enjoyed so much more than any other lounge at this very moment. So I think for me it really depends. I don't go to any lounge. I kind of choose my bottles. Correct. And I think, I think you made a very valid point, uh, Alex, right? So it all I think depends on the particular lounge in question, right? How comfortable you feel in the lounge. It's also, I guess, how much time you have available as well, right? Because, uh, you know, you if you have just 30 minutes left, you'll rather go to the gate rather than be in a lounge. And I guess if you find an open, nice space, plenty of comfortable seating, good choice of food, things to drink, you know, then why do you actually need to go to a lounge, correct? Exactly, yeah. But I think the problem that we are seeing now since, you know, since COVID started, uh, since we started recovering after COVID, you know, airports have become much more crowded spaces, right? Uh, whether you talk about check-in or you talk about, you know, public spaces, uh, the food courts within airports, they become so crowded that it's actually a challenge now to find a little quiet space for yourself as well. I think so that's building up the attraction, I think, of, of lounges and why people want to use lounges. But even lounges are having their own issues, right? So I think that's a big problem. But I just read something just two days back, I don't know if you read it, about uh, Qantas investing, planning to invest $100 million in their lounges. No, I haven't seen it. Tell us more. Mm, this is interesting. This, yeah, this just came out. And Qantas is going to invest about $100 million in lounges. And I think London is going to be one of the, the, the key ones outside. They're going to refurbish their Hong Kong lounge. And I think this is linked to their Sunrise project, which is the, the non-stop flights from Sydney to London. So I guess, you know, they want a really great lounge in, in London. For, for people to, because it's going to be a really long flight, right? So really great lounge. They're going to make it state of the art. But then on the other side, I've seen comments coming from people saying, wouldn't you rather spend that $100 million in your contact center, into resolving complaints, into all those issues, than actually putting money into the lounge? So that's an interesting debate that we have, which is coming up for airlines, right? Of do you really need to invest in lounges versus something else? So I don't know. I mean, this was interesting. I was just reading it about a day or two ago, you know? That's an interesting uh, discussion. And I don't know what's right and what's wrong. I think investing in lounges probably is important. It also depends on competition, right? Because, I mean, essentially airlines are competing against each other. And it's one of the selling points. Lounges is one of the selling points to build up this uh, loyalty, right? I remember when I didn't have a card or status with an airline, I was really eager to fly with that specific airline. So, and for me, one of the points that was really attractive is that I could go to the lounge, you know, and now I, I opt out of going to the lounge, maybe 50% of the time, but I think 
before you get it, it's like, it's a really big USP for many people. And that's what I also hear from people outside of, you know, uh, airline industry from just my friends saying, oh yes, I'm flying this specific airline because then I'll be silver and then I can go to the lounges. And I want to tell them, well, don't expect too much. You know, this lounge in this city is not that good. Uh, you know, <laughs> all of it, but <laughs> I kind of don't want to ruin <laughs> ruin the story for them. <laughs> no, I, I agree with you. And, and that comes back to the point of consistency of lounges, right? So I guess uh, because you travel a lot, you sort of know by heart, which airport has a good lounge, which airline has a good lounge in that particular airport. So you know by heart, it's not worthwhile going to that lounge or you say, oh, hey, this, this airport has a great lounge, right? So, I mean, for me, I can tell you my worst experience of a lounge in recent history. And then maybe you can share your best experience of a lounge. So we give our listeners a view of both sides. My worst experience of a lounge, if you can call it a lounge, was about four or five months back. I'll name the airport, uh, Chicago. Um, it was a lounge run by a ground handler. And I literally went to a room, zero windows. So going back to your initial comments about wide sweeping views and nice sunlight and, and views of planes, zilch. There was nothing there. Blank, a blank, you know, walls with a few pictures on it. Seating was literally like school seating, you know, one on top of the other. Food, of course, was, I would not call it even grab and go. I would just call it uh, ramen and noodles, for example. So it was that part of it. The restroom was also not working in the lounge as well. So I told my wife, I think it's better we are outside the lounge than actually in the lounge. And I asked the staff, I said, is this a temporary lounge or is this actually permanent? And he gave me a sort of very embarrassed sort of, you know, you know, you know, you know, shrug of the shoulders to say, you know, what more can I say? You know, you're not the first person I've heard this comment from. So we literally ran out of the lounge. And I think I was more happy sitting in front of the gate, watching the plane taxing up, you know, so so and my wife had to literally pull me down. There you go, taking pictures again of planes. You know, I, I wish we sat in the lounge where there were no windows. But anyway, that's a different story again. So so that was my experience where I would rather have been out of the lounge and within a lounge. And I, I wouldn't call it lounge by any standard, Alex. You know, so that's what a really recent experience that I remember, you know, right off right now. I'll never forget that. And I'm pretty sure, unfortunately, there are many, many lounges like this. Yeah, but what about you? I mean, did you, I mean, which sort of lounge, what is the sort of good experience that you have from a lounge? I mean, you told us what your ideal lounge is, but which airport or which sort of airline lounge would you say would sort of come right up there, you know, right on top? Did I tell what is my ideal lounge? Oh, I mentioned the view, right? So you draw the, yeah. <laughs> the views, you talked about, exactly. So you said you like to see the view of it, you know, so, so more or less, but... But, you know, and knowing how you are about planes, right? I can, I can, I can, you know, everything about you is also about planes. So, so, you know, I can just imagine a lounge without a view is like, goodness gracious me. It's useless. It, it's yes. useless. Yes. Let's be straightforward. It is useless. And you got it right. For me, the view is very important. I think it's, it's the most important thing in the lounge. Uh, I would definitely run away from a lounge with no windows. I would feel like being in a box, but okay. I think I can mention Swiss lounge in Zurich, um, in non-Schengen area. I really love it. Not only it's got a view, it's got the outdoor terrace. So you go there, 
you hear all those noises, you smell the jet fuel <laughs> and you've got a binocular so you can see a plane so close. Like this is my absolutely, um, like the most favorite lounge, I think, at least in Europe, for sure, for sure. I love it so much. Well, the other one I would mention, and actually that one does not have terrace. It does have some good views. It's Polaris Lounge in Newark. And why I like it so much, uh, because of this amazing uh, bar in the middle of the lounge. And okay, it's not that I'm attracted by bars so much, <laughs> but this bar, uh, they've got a bartender and a special card with aviation inspired cocktails. So you see, <laughs> anything aviation inspired, I love it as well. Uh, I remember I've got this cocktail called paper plane and they stick a little paper plane on the side of your glass. And you know, just all these small details, like, I mean, for an aviation gig, it's just like, I feel so good being in a place like that. Wow. I mean, I, the name itself, you know, Paper Plane, I can just try and picture the, the sort of, you know, the cocktail. What color was it? Oh, good question. You know what? I really don't remember the color. I just remember the Paper Plane. So the, the Paper Plane. So see, that's the problem with us is when we see anything with a, which is planes or plane with wings, we forget everything else around us, right? So, so, you know, but that's where it is. That's where the creativity comes and that's where the small touches also matter, right? In terms of what airlines or airports or lounge providers do to make their lounges really different, correct? And I think food and drink are the key sort of elements that people look forward in a lounge. Would you agree with me on that? I think so. I think so. Food, drinks... And then I guess a variety of different spaces within one lounge, right? Because some people want to work, some people want to lay back and uh, just enjoy and drink. Some people maybe want even to have a little nap before their flight or after their flight. And then we've got families with kids, you know, some people with, uh, with animals. I remember I was in the lounge here in Berlin and I'm, I'm scared to death. Of dogs like I am terrified when I see a dog and then it was so crowded so many people that day I was sitting there eating my food and I realized that I see a woman with a massive dog <laughs> coming my way and because it was so busy the only only table left was next to me you know what I, I couldn't sit there I've taken all my food and just left to nowhere <laughs> trying to to find another spot just because I was so scared so the reason I say this I, I believe like the lounge ha has to have different um, zones different zones exactly no you're right I think you know where when I look at lounges now and I and I sort of see lounges are these one big huge spaces without any separations you know so it sort of defeats the purpose because you've got so many different people traveling now right in the past it used to be mostly business travelers and people who could afford you know to fly premium but today in today's world you've got leisure travelers who who are flying in a, in, in premium you've got card holders who have lounge access and of course lounge access today could be covering the entire family as well right and then you've got youngsters like my son who perhaps want a different experience right so that reminds me dubai airport has a gaming lounge 
So which means I'm sure Aryan, my son, if he had he known that there was a gaming lounge, even if it was for 45 minutes, I'm sure he would definitely gone to the lounge, right? Because gaming is something that he likes. Uh, similarly, I think, you know, we've got a lot of elderly people as well. So again, what they want from a lounge is maybe different from what others want from a lounge as well. And there were few interesting concepts that I see that's happening with lounges, Alex, is uh, there's a lounge concept come up as sleep and fly. So it's basically, it's like a hotel, or one of these pod hotels, but it's more on the lounge concept. I think it's only in Dubai and Doha right now. And there's another concept from the same company called Lounge Light, which basically gives you a chair, it gives you tea, coffee, and soft drinks, no food, but it sort of gives you your own private space that you can actually sort of relax without the food part of it. So they've taken the food out of it. And then there's another one called business pod, which is more for a business perspective, a business pod. So you've got all your workspace and you can get food and, and whatever you want and still work. So I think these are interesting things that are happening. And also it goes back to the lounge that Dubai has opened. I think it's in Arrivals, right? It's called the patio. It's more like a open office concept, uh, you know, a WeWork sort of concept that that you can but you know having it in arrivals or departures is a little bit more is not traditional right you would rather have the lounge after you finish immigration as well you're right and actually i will report back on that lounge on the co-working lounge uh, in dubai which is which you mentioned just now when you say it's in the arrivals area my first thought was like Hmm, why is that? I mean, you expect a lounge in departures, hall, not arrivals. But then, David, the interesting part is that I remember every time I arrived to Dubai, because I arrive around 7 a.m., I spent at least few hours in the airport just catching up on my emails because hotel check-in, anyway, is around 3 p.m. or so, right? I land and then I go to a coffee place, which usually is so busy. And you've got, you know, kids running around and all, all the different people. It's just very noisy and not so comfortable, you know? And then I open my laptop and I try to focus. So I would definitely want to go to that lounge. I think, yeah, that's a good point. I never thought of that. And that, that you reminded me the other day when I went to drop somebody off at the airport, I found a lot of people just sitting and waiting, you know, because obviously check-in, check-out time, so hotels is what dictates when people sort of leave, right? And once you're, once you're sort of checked out of a hotel, where do you go? So I wish more and more airports or maybe lounge providers look at not exactly lounges, but co-working spaces or relaxation spaces where people then have the opportunity because check-in is not yet open, right, perhaps. Yeah. So to, to sort of relax, check on their emails rather than in a public space as well. So I hope that concept of, you know, these sort of co-working spaces, you know, get more traction around the world, right, we go. Absolutely. And then there is another concept which was introduced pretty recently, right? Grab and go. Few airlines started doing this. It's just like a little cafe style lounge essentially you can just go there grab a few items uh, get a drink they say you know they have baristas so you get a nicer coffee than usually in the terminal i'm not i'm not sure i can't comment if it's nice or not but uh, well <laughs> that's how they they try to promote it and I think, yeah, I think the concept will keep going, but I think what's going to happen is you're going to have not just airports getting in on lounge because of, of ancillary revenue, you know, the non-aeronautical revenue side, you're going to have 
airlines perhaps looking at what, like you said about with the competition, how they can improve their lounges. Then you're going to have uh, dedicated lounge providers also sort of building their presence in that space. There's a funny thing, and you reminded me, did you know that a that apart from Amex, which is a financial company, that there are some banks in the US that also have their own airport lounges for their card members. Really? Uh, and just today, and it was funny, right? I was just reading it and I said, Capital One is actually a bank in the US. They do, they issue a lot of credit cards. They have lounges in, in, in the airport, which they opened, I think, during COVID time. And there was a funny, this is really funny. Because they're a financial institution that were running lounges, they were not support, They were not allowed or licensed to serve alcoholic beverages in lounges. So it was only this week I think they got the license from the state of Virginia that they are now they they now have a license to be able to serve alcoholic beverages like other lounges. So it's strange, right? That now you see banks also jumping into the lounge space. Because I think one thing is uh, lounge access is in the top three benefits when you look at things from a loyalty perspective, right? So whether you look at an airline loyalty program or you actually look at a credit card. The reason I personally took a credit card is because I get my miles. It's a co-branded card and I get lounge access. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's one reason. So I think if you remove lounges from your benefits, people don't have much to think about or sort of, you know, there's no loyalty, right? If you look at it that perspective. So I think th- this is interesting to see how credit card companies, dedicated loyalty companies, dedicated card companies are actually all getting into the space, which previously used to be just about airlines, right? And how they position themselves. And it's getting the space definitely getting more and more competitive, especially in the US. I don't know um, about Middle East, but in Europe, for example, credit card lounges are not so popular, to be honest with you. I think in the US, you've got many more lounges that you can access with your credit card. And there they really do compete with airline lounges. Here, not so much. Yeah, and I think Middle East also not yet. But I think what happens is, is, is like uh, someone I was talking to yesterday said, you know, one thing Arabs are known is for their hospitality. And I think uh, that's the reason you see in whether it's an Emirates lounge or the Etihad lounge or the Qatar Airways lounge, the lounges are top class, right? Uh, you've, got, you've got great, great lounge spaces. You've got great food. You've got plenty of space, plenty of things to do in terms of the lounges. And, and I think that's what we see in the Middle East where the airlines are actually focused on lounges, right? To a large extent compared to other parts of the world. So, so I think, you know, you'll find these cultural differences in, in, in around the world. US, a lot of things are spent on credit cards. So by default, right, Europe is different. I think Germans don't use credit cards too much, right? They're not, no. No, it's not no. such a big thing in Germany, for example. Yeah, so I think it's interesting to see all these cultural differences with, that is sort of impacting in lounges. But I would love that with the competition that the bad lounges get weeded out and we have either good lounges or very good lounges, Alex. I love it. I sign under every word you just said. Before we end, I've got two, po- two things I want to tell you. Number one, you travel much more than me. So here's what I read about Amex and their new lounge in Seattle. It's got great views of the airfield. It's got great views of the mountain. And they have some super great coffee. I'm just reading the name. I forgot the name of the coffee. And it has its own coffee bar with their own special blend of coffee not available anywhere else. And that's in Seattle. Yeah. So that's something you need to maybe try it out and let me know how your experience of the Amex Lounge was. 
Okay, David, I, I think we might need to take a break before we speak with our guests because I'm going to go and uh, look for tickets to Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And before you end, there's one more point that you made at the start. And this is, again, someone who's very involved in lounges said, said this, and I'm just reading it out verbatim. He says this is to do with the Qantas Lounge. The luxury Qantas Lounge will feature direct access to boarding gates, sweeping views of the airfield, a focus on well-built features and an unrivaled dining experience. So isn't that the perfect lounge? Would you agree with me on that, Alex? I agree. I absolutely agree. <laughs> okay, let's go and talk about perfect lounges now with our guest. Wow, listeners, listeners, this, I mean, we're not going to go into the background of how we got to this point, but here we are. We've got Ian K on our very first podcast, and the podcast is on lounges. And let me do a quick introduction of Ian. Um, Ian has spent the thick end of his career at the intersection between out-of-home advertising and airports. And he said that does it make him an aviation geek or an ad geek, right? And that I'll leave for Ian to sort of talk about, right, during this part of the discussion. But he says one thing is sure, it's given him a unique insight into the ways that advertisers can reach travelers and actually have a meaningful engagement with them. And this is the part that we really like about Ian is lounge media. And by that, he means the space and time offered by the operators on their physical and digital inventory is emerging as an important addition, right, to the marketing toolkit of luxury brands, travel brands. And he claims, and this is something we'll, we'll sort of discuss and we'll, we'll get to sort of agree on or disagree on, is that uh, his colleagues and him are positioned themselves to be subject matter experts in this area. Uh, I also have a question for him. He sort of defines himself as a professional troublemaker. So, uh, and that is something we'll also ask him uh, during the course of this podcast to see whether he, he still claims to hold that title. But I think like Alex knows and... Uh, I can confirm from the past 10 minutes. <laughs> really? Wow. Okay. And, and hopefully he will not let out any of our deep, dark secrets of, of how we record this podcast, right? At least not now, maybe later on. So Ian, um, I have another question for you. Is there any truth in the rumor that you pivoted to this area only as a way to get into fancy first-class lounges without having to pay the annual membership fee? Is there truth in that? That is a, that's a scurrilous accusation, um, and I would not wish to comment any, any further on that. But it's look, people often go into jewellery sales to get to own a Patek Philippe Nautilus when typically they don't a Casio, so. It doesn't hurt that the main medium in which you're operating is perhaps a high-end luxury lounge where only premium travellers inhabit and eat fabulous food and drink glorious drinks and get free Wi-Fi and sit on comfortable chairs. So I'm very happy with the space I'm occupying at the moment and um, I'm not going to comment further on my motivations um, Let's leave it at that. <laughs> I'll try. I'll try a little bit later. I'll try a little bit later to get to squeeze the truth out of you. But I've got a few words there. I've got the word luxury, high end, great food, comfortable chairs. But uh, you know that's something I may sort of disagree with. That perhaps has not been my experience in the last few months of traveling. 
I've seen lounges that have been worse than boxes. I mean, windowless boxes, chairs that you want to jump out of, food that is, I would call ramen and hot water. So, um, I mean, I don't know if that's a fact of COVID or it's something that's sort of, you know, the reality of lounges. But let me ask you, what do you think are the biggest benefits of lounges in today's post-COVID world? And, you know, do you think lounges still have a place in today's world? Do they still enhance the travel experience? What do you think? Well, first and foremost, I think your, your comments are absolutely right. Um, I think that the lounge space is... Um, both a, a victim of pre-COVID, but also a beneficiary of post-COVID. And I'll sort of explain that. Explain that. It, it was typical, I guess, that the airline operators who are, uh, run their own lounges would regard passengers like you and I as a captive audience. And if we'd booked a ticket, we'd go in their lounges. And so the effort that they would typically have to put in was modest because the they had you. Um, and, and there was most likely a loyalty element to the the process which meant that you had access and you would take it and so forth and so the amount of effort that they would have to put in to really enhance the appearance and and the, the sense of the fabric of the place and the the elements within it really was quite modest because they had you anyway so why bother um and obviously when covid came you know that had a huge impact upon um lots of aspects of the of the use of an airport and lots of airports just weren't used at all um, but what has happened, and, and seriously happened, is that it became very abundant, abundantly clear, really, that the lounge space offered an ancillary revenue to a, 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 a sector of business that needed to get some cash in the bank really fast. And what really has emerged, and I think that this is the challenge to what we perhaps call the, you know, the legacy operators, the big airlines, is an independent sector coming into the marketplace and creating an offering of its own and therefore giving the consumer, the passenger, some choice. And when there's choice, clearly there are people that are going to have to respond to that by upping their own games or, or not, as the case may be, and looking pretty closely at what this new independent sector is, is offering. And the independents have not got a ton of baggage, metaphorical baggage, that they've been dragging behind them. They've you know, they've rented the new spaces, they've created an environment, and they've got a blank canvas on which to design for, for us and for our benefit, a really lovely environment. And so next time you book a, an American, a British Airlines, a British Airways, a Lufthansa flight, and you would typically go, oh, you know, we'll use the Polaris Lounge or we'll use the Concord Room or whatever it happens to be. You can now think more, um, more broadly whether you go into one of the lounges operated by an independent people like plaza premium or cavu or or one of the big uh, card companies that have partnered with the operators and have got their own offerings amex and capital one and, and so forth and and so there's a there's a very um populous landscape developing now the beneficiaries are going to be us because we've got that choice um and moreover, moreover, and this is probably quite significant, the idea that you've got to pay a couple of thousand dollars to get your membership for the year and that gets you all of the stuff in, in the particular lounge that you, you would use is out the door now because most of the new independents are encouraging walking. So it, it's, great, it's great for business because you can, it's great for their business because, again, they can stimulate offers and generate lots more interest on a, a, an ad hoc basis. Um, again, broadening the choice and so forth. So we're not bound by these 
huge cost centers um, if we're just private citizens um, who want a little bit of, 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 of a treat when we attend uh, an airport. So, you know, I guess the answer to your question is that, you know, the, the lounge space is, is very busy, very busy at the moment because of this new mix of, of traditional airlines who, in truth, are upping the game, they're, they're, they're spending money, they're refurbishing, they're bringing lots of new things in, like celebrity chefs to do nice meals and additional features like sleep pods and soundproof business booths and all of these types of, of things um, to address the challenges of the emerging sector. Um, and that's, that's great for us. You know, it's terrible to, to think that you would go into a space that you've spent quite a bit of money on expecting comfort and relaxation and, and all those lovely things and you end up in a cupboard and it looks pretty horrible and the Wi-Fi doesn't work very well and there's some two-day-old croissant, some tepid coffee and maybe a tin of wine, you know, on tap. And, you know, that's not great. It's not great for the reputation of the, you know, the, the lounge um, product. Um, so it's very gratifying and certainly has been for me to kind of roll my sleeves up with my colleagues and get immersed in, in this space um, and see the developments, the very positive developments. And, and there are some, you know, I, I, I don't know which, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be indiscreet enough to say, you know, who was it? Because you know, I don't think that's particularly fair today. But um, I think certainly over the next 12 to 24 months, you're going to see a very different landscape emerging. Um, the quality of the offering changing. Um, and the various features within within that offering, and you know it won't be unusual to walk into a lounge and be able to walk into a spa, and have a spa treatment, or to have a a, a gym within the lounge, or a, a very specialist um, food and beverage offering um, that meets a specific need, um, and that's the direction I think that the the sector is certainly going in. Um, it's becoming a profit centre in its own right for businesses. As independent businesses as well as for airlines, and you know, let's be honest, we, we we've been through two and a half, three pretty brutal years, and and now as a serious ancillary, this is this is taking its place, um, alongside all of the other stuff that happens before you fly and on the plane and, and everything that goes with it. So, it's lucrative and and, and therefore necessary to be sustainable. That's that's my two cents on the subject. I I hope it got some way to answering at least one of the questions you asked. No, I think you answered the question and uh, I, I agree with you completely. I think from a passenger perspective, uh, we've got so many options now. And actually now we have more freedom to choose the airline, right? Previously, it was like a big factor in building loyalty. And sometimes you would just choose one airline over the other just because, you know, you can go to the lounge. It's a little bit better travel experience. Not so much anymore. Now you really can mix and match, I feel. Um, that's a model. And I also want to comment on something that you mentioned. You mentioned a few things like spa and the gym. These are great things, you know, in, in Helsinki, Finnair, they have sauna in their lounge. I think in London, one lounge has Peloton machines. 
The other question is how often people actually use it. So <laughs> I don't know if anyone actually used Peloton machine. I, I'm such a sport addict. I have a bike machine at home, but I can't imagine that I go to the lounge and I actually use Peloton. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Not sure. So my question is, what do you think is really important for a lounge? And what are the things that may be nice to have, but actually are... Okay, pretty useless at the end of the day. <laughs> I think you're right about the Peloton machines. I mean, for goodness sake, you know, you're in your lovely travel clothes and your executive suit and you're about to go off there. And, you know, who, who's got the gym gear you know, and the shower room and all of the stuff? So, yeah, I, I think that whilst there is clearly a motivation and appetite to fill the lounges full of great things, you know, you've got to, your question is a really good one. What makes a, a good lounge? And I think the answer is the same thing that makes a, a really good resort hotel. And, and, and it's the difference between a good one and a bad one. And um, we're business people, so we travel a lot. And I guess we're used to seeing the insides of lots of hotels around the world. And you get to a point where you've seen the same picture hanging in the same place and, the same, and, and, and so forth. And the same drink being served with the same packet of nuts. And the... The, the answer I, I guess I would give now is nothing to do with sleep pods and, and, and peloton machines and stuff like that. It's all about sense of, of place. Because if you've paid money, if you've paid a lot of money, to firstly, to travel well and travel in, in a decent standard, and you've paid a lot of money for the membership of the lounge, if you have, and it's part of a process of of your life you want for the 90 odd minutes of typical dwell time and then that's about standard for lounges on the stats you want that to be a part of the experience and you want to be in that lounge and if you're in helsinki you want a sense of finland you want to really understand that it's not some androgynous soulless sensitized desensitized environment but it really does give you a sense that i am in finland and this is what's what it's all about and i think the idea of jumping in a sauna although it's probably impractical is an entirely brilliant sense of the place that you're in and the, the fabric and feel of the environment is, is is cultured and cultivated to do that and and i have to say the emerging lounge operators are doing a really good job of that and you, you only have to go into one of the new lounges up at edinburgh airport and you've got this really strong sense of the deep tartan traditions of scottish culture which, which are delightful and, and an essential part of your journey and, and really good value for money as well because you've spent the money and you take the comfort of the chair for granted. You take the cleanliness of the toilet for granted and generally speaking, the quality of the food now is, is of a standard. But the differentiator and the thing that you remember and makes you say, yeah, we'll book with them again if I'm in Bangalore or if I happen to be in uh, Dubai or Tel Aviv, I'm going to book them because the experience that I had in Frankfurt or in Montreal or, or, in, or in Miami really gave me a starting point for my trip to that destination. Because you know what? You go on business, you go to the office, you have your meeting, you walk out, stay in your hotel, you go back to the airport. And you go away thinking, what the hell have I just seen from that place? So often the lounge is one of those rare opportunities you've got to immerse yourself in the true travel experience. Because you don't really get it, you know, do you get it on a plane? Not so much. 
the airport maybe but the lounge is a great place to do that and i think that wise will be the operator that really grasps that opportunity from a commercial point of view and gives the traveler a travel experience as well as a comfort experience and there are some good there are some good operators now that are bringing in things like art exhibitions and really uh, collaborating with uh, local uh, vendors of, of, of food and services and all of those things and it's I think again you know you sort of asked a question a hundred years ago about this type of stuff what makes a, a good and a bad lounge and the good lounge is the one where you remember it you've actually got a sense of memorability and and memorability is obviously important from a commercial point of view because that creates unmissability and you, you go back you're loyal, you become a loyal customer to the guys that treated you the best for all of the reasons. And sense of place, I think, is, is probably one of those, those factors that will rise in, in the priority list. Wow, yeah. I mean, uh, I really like this concept that you said of sense of place, Ian. I think it makes uh, so much sense. But here's a question for you, right? And I fully agree with you, I completely agree with you, because you want to launch where you sort of remember and all these small bits like, you know, remembering the lounge in Helsinki or the Peloton machine, you know, you won't forget that. But lounges are very physical places, right? So they give you that sense of place. But how do you then sort of take that experience and sort of combine it with a digital experience? You know, in terms of how do you get that sort of thing meshing together where you get the physical sense of place, but you're still able to leverage uh, the digital sort of benefits. I'll give you an example. So. I wanted to do a little bit of duty-free shopping uh, a few months back. I went to the lounge. I got busy with things. I completely forgot. I got onto the plane and I said, oh my goodness me, I was supposed to get somebody something. And I said, oh, what do I do now? I couldn't get off the plane, right? So you sort of lose out a little bit of the other, if I call it the attractions of the airport. Uh, you know, because you're there, you have the food, you get your little bit of space, you get yourself settled in. But uh, I'm, I'm not seeing the digital experience being actually leveraged or, or utilized to the fully, fullest extent in lounges, apart from the Wi-Fi. So what do you think is, is the sort of options for that? I mean, what do you think the future is, is for, for, for meshing these two together, you know? You're really asking an expert. I mean, look, I, I, I'm, David, you're a sweetheart because I really feel you're leading the witness here and I'm, I'm, I'm almost, I'm, I'm stretching out to answer the question. I'm like, oh, let me get to this one. It's, a, it's an excellent question, and um, I think that it is entirely timely in terms of you asking it, because, again, when we think about the absolutely unique circumstances that we've just emerged from over the last couple of years, it's focused minds hugely. And I, I don't know about you guys, but I've found myself during these lockdowns in these meetings with people in you know great big webinars everybody in the bedrooms in their hoodies talking about how things are going to be and how things are going to change and speculating and everybody's talking innovative thinking and you know how can we think outside of the box because the minds were focused hugely shops closed airports closed planes grounded and it was there was a necessity to really think very very clearly and with laser-like vision about how things could become different and the subject matter you just raised is, is, is entirely on topic because when we think about you know my area of interest which is uh, taking luxury brands into into an audience into a relevant and highly targeted audience 
um, and that happens to be in a lounge, a luxury lounge, premium traveller environment. How do we do that? And, and there's, you know, there's, there's, there's a, a traditionally there's been one answer, and you know, you put a big experiential uh, activation in place with some delightful brand ambassadors and some some engagement tactics and 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 so forth, and that raises awareness of product categories to a, a very relevant audience. In, in a very non-solicitational way, I should add, in a lounge environment. But it, it, it's a very physical way of, of doing it. But is that enough? Well, of course it isn't enough, because it only goes so far. And often in a lounge environment, solicitation and transaction is it's not possible for a whole range of technical reasons. But, you know, there are still shops and there are also means of buying online as well as off. And this is a source of focus for a lot of the luxury brands at present. Um, and certainly we're seeing a very strong appetite, not only to engage with this, this highly relevant demography, you guys who will buy. You know, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, you, you, something like a nice bottle of Bulgari, you know, Opera Prima at $200,000 is right up your street, Alex. And of course. <laughs> linking, linking them to you and, you know, Dave's Patek Philippe and all of these types of things. Uh, you're the audience. So the brands are acutely focused on, on how the dots are going to be joined at each touch point of your particular journey to make David aware of the opportunities that will present themselves to him pre-travel, travel day, post-travel, so that you don't forget. And the opportunity to forget is almost removed from your levels of consciousness. So there's a, a physical and digital journey now that is being developed, and quite a sophisticated one, um, that the airlines who operate lounges and the independent operators are considering very seriously. Firstly, because it makes them more money. Let's let's be clear, there's no altruism here. It's It makes them money. But they're creating a media landscape, if you like, onto which brands can, can overlay themselves to create opportunities. And that may come from the booking confirmation form that you guys get to tell you that you've booked your lounge. And, and by the way, when you're in there, David, it might be your wife's birthday, so don't forget to look at the Bulgari stand that's going to be in place with the lovely perfume that will be um, you'll be able to sample and take perhaps away a, a little a gift pack um, because you are rewarded for flying with or entering that particular lounge and because you're special you'll be treated as a special guest by all of this lovely rewarded uh, treatment and then when you arrive at the place that will happen and you'll remember that you've been told about this particular experience and you'll opt into it because you'll see it and and then some delightful brand ambassador will say do you like it would you buy it do you want to try it and if so you know just click on my qr code here and that will take you into our microsite which has an e-commerce cart and by the way if you would prefer to there's a shop just outside on the concourse where you can also buy it either directly from our own uh, retail environment or through our retail concession partner. And every point in the way, the, your opportunity to forget that it's your wife's birthday and you've got to buy a little Bulgari perfume has been eliminated entirely. 
because you've got a physical option and you've got a multiple array of digital options to see and try and um, delve more deeply into the brand experience. And that's the world I occupy now. Um, the brands seem to like it because it creates a more direct means of communication with their audience. And it doesn't rely on you and I walking into a, one of the large palaces that sell all this stuff and hope we'll find the thing that we'll want to buy. Oh, and incidentally, only 15% of people actually buy the luxury goods in the shop. And, and, and as we know, less than 2% bothered buying it on the plane. So how else are we, is the brand going to convert into sales? By just talking to you where you're hanging around for 90 minutes, being happy because the chairs are comfy, being happy because you've just had your sauna, perhaps, or your Peloton cycling experience, but you're in a motivated and relaxed environment, um, being pampered, um, luxuriating in the flesh pots of the airport lounge world. Um, and it's a good fit. It, it is a good fit. And, and it expands the retail offering into the digital space, either via you know, the digital um, advertising spaces that are in, in, in public view, or more specifically on your phone. Whilst you, once you've read the Wall Street Journal, what else are you going to do? Watch, what, <laughs> stress over your flight times or perhaps drink more wine? Yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting space to be in. It's, I guess it's challenging because a lot of opportunities are still missed out. So many airports and airlines, they simply do not understand the value of it, I feel, right? So you, you need to still explain like what can be done. It's still pretty new concept. Like maybe in the entire in my entire travel experience i've seen only a few lounges where they have some sort of duty free and i always feel like this is such a missed opportunity and you know i keep thinking like for example here in berlin they have a really nice and big shop for lufthansa where they sell the branded items really expensive branded items so they have uh, remova lufthansa um luggage and bags and stuff I think they better sell it in the lounges, <laughs> in the lounge, in the Ufganza lounge, where people yeah. probably they will be more interested also in the in the branded co-branded stuff than it's just this shop in the airport. I never seen anyone buying anything from that shop. I think it's it's such a missed opportunity. Well, it's a huge challenge, and it is, and, and I I can't lie that it's an emerging market. It's by no means a, a mature media space by any means, and. There are a couple of notable exceptions um, where lounge operators, and I'm not going to name them because, again, I think that that would be lacking a certain amount of tact. But there are some excellent lounge operators that have a mature media pack. They understand the value of the spaces that they have. They have options for brands in, in a broad, broad media mix. And, and that extends across the, the spaces from simply sampling from a, a, a bar tray through to big experiential uh, sites where you can sample and you buy and and then all sorts of other longer term arrangements like sponsorships of lounges within lounges and kid zones and, 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 and bar spaces and everything like that. And they understand that this is a predictable and sustainable long term revenue stream, which is a part of the a part of the business mix. Other other lounge operators Far less so, far, far less so, and are, I guess, um, 
ingrained within a certain degree of thinking, a, a type of thinking, that these are places where somebody spent 12 grand to fly first class, two grand to spend the time in the lounge. Do they actually want somebody over there showing them a sample of a, a, an Amiga Seamaster? Maybe not, but maybe. And, and, and that's the, the dilemma. So I think that eventually all lounges will find the sweet spots whereby the association with certain types of branding creates a good fit and also it is positioned correctly because let's be honest that this is just another differentiator if i'm a well for the sake of argument let's choose united you know i'm sat in front of united's polaris lounge at uh, lax chicago one of the two one of the two so if i was in there in real life and not just in front of a backdrop I, I want to feel quite special about my United status because I've, I've spent money to get it. I'm a loyal United customer. I want to feel that that's reciprocated and they're offering me something back for my loyalty beyond, you know, the miles plus and all of the stuff that I may never redeem. And, and I would hope that that is something special. And it, the something special to me may be something that I would only get by virtue of having entered that particular lounge space. And... And be told that, you know, you've come here, therefore, you're a fan of Amiga Seamasters. I use that as an example. And you've come in here, and because of our association, and because of our ability to want to reward you as our loyal customer, you get 20% off, and you only get it from United and by coming into our lounge. Now, that was a hypothesis. United don't offer that. I'm not a, a United loyalty customer. I may be one day. But conceptually... That is how I believe that operators will position themselves in order to stimulate a sense of specialness um, from their guests, passengers, how lounge spaces will reward guests for entering with an enhancement of the overall experience. So the chairs are nice, the food's nice, and the drinks are nice, and now the rewards are nice too, and they are only available if you carry on being happy and loyal to that particular brand. Um, and that, I think, is possibly uh, the curve that we are, we, we're on, and, and some of the operators are on it already. So yeah, I'm optimistic. One of my curses is boundless optimism. Taking, but taking your optimism, Ian, if you were to sort of give the being given the opportunity to say, design what you think the lounge of the future should look like, what do you think that lounge would, would be? Oh, well, you know, I'm an old-fashioned guy, David. So, you know, if you, you, you'll get other people on, on, your, on your, your show and they'll talk about it being in the metaverse and, you know, we're floating through space in this fabulous way and, and everybody looks phenomenal and gorgeous and fabulous. I am, I'm not that guy. I want an old-fashioned Lake District Hotel overlooking Lake Windermere with wood panelling and thick carpets and a cafetiere of absolutely superb coffee and an old-fashioned broadsheet newspaper that I can look at whilst staring beyond it into a beautiful English country scene. Now, 
it may be that that can be recreated in the metaverse for me by the simply selecting a button on a range of options that I get when I enter the lounge. And Alex may choose her, her sauna in, in some Nordic fjord and you may choose something much more exotic and glamorous. That's the ideal lounge experience in, in total comfort. It's a multi-sensory environment for me with, with warmth and taste and smell and, and, and that creates a delight for me. And uh, yeah, I hope that's, that's the answer to the question. I'm an old, old school guy. It's very surprising because you are making the airport um, shopping experience digital. You are talking about how to digitalize everything and how to sell things. And then you want the countryside lounge. I do. With, uh, you know, I do. I do. I want and, uh, and paper magazines and newspapers. Do you not think it's a fascinating juxtaposition though? It's, it's a delight. You know, I'm entitled to, to yearn for some fabulous, you know, when Rolex make a pocket watch, I will buy it. <laughs> I put it in my waistcoat pocket and admire it as my, as my luxury treat in my phenomenal environment. But let's not forget that because we're using tech here, I can switch the environment at a moment's notice and I can, you know, quite happily be in your spaceship. So, you know. Those, those are potential options that future guests in, in lounges might take for granted. I'm happy with my Lake District guest house. Sounds good, sounds good. Okay, Ian, I think we can continue this conversation for forever because so much to talk about, but being conscious of time. And by the way, dear listeners, in the beginning, David and I, we mentioned that this first episode is going to be 35 to 40 minutes. We lied to you. We are very sorry. It's much above that. But hopefully you stick to, to us and still listen to this point so you know, uh, okay, everyone makes mistakes next time will be more precise and to end conversation with Ian we'll ask you this um, fun question we talked about the best uh, lounge experiences that David and I had um, what was your most memorable best lounge experience that's a really good question and and I, I think in truth and you guys are way way too young to to remember this but it happened in 1974 Neither of you were born, clearly. I was a relatively young man and I was with my, my parents going on a foreign holiday. I think we were in a Swiss Air lounge at Manchester Airport. Um, no, I'm lying to you. It wasn't in, it was, it was in Milan. And we were in the lounge waiting to come home. And there were a group of sportsmen who were also in the lounge. And, and I was a very young man, but my father was a very larger-than-life character who would go up and talk to absolutely anybody. And he, he went up to this, this group of, of sportsmen and was engaging in conversation. I came and I was sitting there, shy, a very shy boy, sitting there wondering what was going on. And my father came back. He said, oh, you've got to come and meet these guys. You've got to come and meet these guys. And, and he said, what did you, your, you say your name was? And the guy said, well, my name's Ari Hahn. And, and, and the other guy, my name's Johan Cruyff. And this was the Dutch national football team who were going off to play in the 1974 World Cup. And my dad, after about three minutes, was their best friend for life. Introduced me to every single one of these players who were massive names at the time. And 
they had some awful T-shirts on, you know, your holiday T-shirts that my mother had bought me from British home stores or somewhere. And all these guys signed my, my shirt and, and, and that was great. Unfortunately, my mother washed it when she came home and all the, all the autographs came off. But it was an amazing thing, you know, for a guy, I must have been about 11 years old, to have been in this kind of really posh environment and met these guys and kind of was in awe of people that were household names in, in sport at the time. And you know, I kind of think that, yeah, it's nice to be young and still have this wide-eyed ability to see heroes and feel like you're amongst heroes in this very simple and innocent way. And maybe that's the theme of all of this. You know, I'm still sitting in my Lake District lounge waiting for my heroes to, 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 to walk in with this beaming air of innocence around me. <laughs> Just... uh, thank you so much, Ian. I mean, that makes, uh, I mean, that really makes sense, right? I mean, we all today in today's tech driven world, we all want a simpler world where, where we, you know, we meet our heroes. And what better place than a lounge to actually meet some of your real heroes as well, right? Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Well, look, it's been an absolute pleasure. You know, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I've probably spoken far too much, and for that, I apologise hugely. But um, I'm, look, I'm, I'm pleased I was your guinea pig, and it can only get better from here. And when you have serious guests on, and it's all sorted out, then you know you can remind them of this moment. And that that guy Ian K came on, and you know we had huge problems, but we kind of got there in the end. <laughs> Thank you, thank you, Ian. <laughs>